This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week we are getting into the Christmas spirit of things and doing a Santa Claus to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Isn't it the Santa Claus? What? Oh, I have it written down as a Santa Claus, but yes, it's probably the Santa Claus, the definitive clause of Santa we are yes. reviewing. All right. The last line uh, in a contract. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Bernardo. Um, it's Bernard. <laughs> it's Bernard. <laughs> I know. I got it wrong on purpose like Tim Allen does. Uh, anyway, Mark, are you ready to go with your 60-second synopsis? Yes. All right. Here's your countdown. And in three, two, one, go. We begin with Scott Calvin arriving home from a Christmas Eve meeting, burning his dinner, and finding a place to eat. Scott reads his son to sleep with Twas the Night Before Christmas. During the night, they are awoken by a clatter and go outside to see what was the matter. Santa was on Scott's roof and is startled by their sudden appearance and falls to his doom. Charlie talks his dad into putting on the Santa suit and delivering presents in Santa's absence. They end up at the North Pole where the elves explain that Scott is now the new Santa, but the following morning Scott wakes up in his own bed and believes it was all a dream. Over the next year, Scott notices rapid weight gain and facial hair growth, and despite psychiatrist's best efforts, Charlie still believes his dad to be Santa. Scott comes to terms with his new persona, just in time to arrive at the North Pole for final Christmas Eve preparations. Believing him to be crazy and to have kidnapped his son, the police set an ambush and arrest Santa during his deliveries. ELFS is deployed to his rescue, and he is able to complete his annual task, as well as deliver a few long-overdue gifts before the happy ending. Just in time, but you got it in. Way to go. All right, let's get into long form. What did you guys see as adults that you may have missed as children? My first note is just Tim Allen looks really young in this movie. Uh, probably because he was really young. I just, I always. <laughs> or younger than he is now. I mean, but I always think of, oh, he's just kind of like a my daddy's age character. So I didn't think of him as being, yeah, he was probably maybe in his 30s. Yeah, I mean, was this. Was this before uh, Home Improvement? It was during. It was during. During. Because okay. at the time that this was released, I saw somewhere, uh, this was the number one movie, and Home Alone was also the number one TV show. Home and Alone. apparently, he, Home, or Home Alone. And yes, he that's had the number one selling book. He, yes, that's that was the other thing. So he yeah, was apparently I mean, really popular at the time for yeah. good reason. I mean, I really loved Home Improvement. I mean, Tim Allen was definitely a part of it. He had better character actors supporting him as well. Uh, but like, he delivers in this movie. He yeah. is legitimately funny. He's it, pulling on his experience as a stand-up. Uh, and doing an amazing job. I guess maybe I just haven't seen this one as recently as some of the others we've watched. And so I always think, oh, he's so much older. But then I'm like, oh, at the time, he wasn't super old. I just... For me, Tim Allen is threading the line between, like, angry dad and funny dad perfectly. Where, like, he's really selling that 
He is this divorced father trying to connect with his son and doing his best, but failing to connect with him. Yes, he's not a a bad dad because a lot of these kind of like family movies go too far into making, oh, that father is just the worst at the beginning. He's not a bad dad. He's just, he doesn't know what he's doing by himself. Mm-hmm. And he's bitter about the divorce, and he hates. And Neil. he's trying to make it work. It's just yes. that things start. Which to go I could badly. agree with because Neil is super annoying. And yeah. has the worst sweaters. <laughs> yeah, he has Cosby level of sweaters. So bad. So I um and the version that I watched didn't have this in there, but something that I found there was some line in the original version that got cut out. The sex line. Yes, you've heard this. Oh, tell me more I, about I the sex line. I also looked up trivia. I Who think calls it was the what he line? was he was yelling insults at somebody or something and he he called he said something about 1800 spank me or something. Oh, this is really a sex line that you yes, call. Yes, yes. I was making a joke how a line could also be a, a, in the script as something you say. No, yeah, he was making a joke like to the, like that was his line, but it turns okay. out it was a real phone number and and it, <laughs> people started calling it, so they had to cut it from the VHS version when it got released. But apparently so many people called it that Disney eventually bought the phone number so that they could <laughs> get rid of it. <laughs> oh that is that is fantastic so while just while we're talking about tim allen and how popular one of the trivia things i found is that for what at the time it might the thing might have changed since then but they had to make an exception for him to be in this movie because disney at the time had a thing where they wouldn't hire any ex um criminals like oh and tim allen i mean one of his big things is he went to jail for a while and yeah. so he would hiring him would have been against their thing. And so they had to make an exception because it's Tim Allen, but it would have gone against their no hiring ex-con. Well, and he yeah, wasn't I mean, they hire him again when it comes to time for Toy Story. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's changed since, but that's what the trivia said. But at the time they had to make but an exception. I, I guess the one I saw, he was like not even the first choice. I don't think he, he was, was not, even the um, second or third choice. Like they Bill had Murray several people was, beforehand. And then Chevy okay. Chase was. Oh, Chevy Chase would have ruined this. I think so, too. I think he did a good job <laughs> at it. I don't know why he was not the first choice, but other like, than maybe uh, the criminal background. but And even older style Bill Murray, I think, wouldn't have been right for this because he's well, not quite angry enough. He's, he's perfect at being aloof, which Tim Allen is a bit in this movie, but I, I don't think he had the he would have had the balance for the character. And that's why he turned it down. Uh, it was written for Bill Murray and he turned it down because he said it doesn't really fit my style. And mm-hmm. probably it was a good idea because I think Tim Allen's perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, despite your attraction to Tim Allen, let's move on. Um, uh, let's get he's into the fine. plot. Yeah, no, I, you said he's perfect and I made a joke on it. It was hilarious. Um, can we talk about the terrifying ice sculpture? In the beginning? The <laughs> so party. At the, and, is this the at the Christmas, holiday party? Yes, at the Christmas okay. party. They're talking about how their year was so successful due to the doll and they have an ice sculpture of the doll and it is scary huh i i don't remember seeing it you will have to post a picture for this i'm making a note it It is scary ice doll (laughs) scary ice doll i'll just type that into google we'll see what i forget what the name of the doll even was now uh Susie wets her pants no it was like does everything yeah something like that (laughs) 
she can even throw up like a real baby. I think something I liked was, well, and you notice right away that he is, you kind of get the impression that he's supposed to be the bad dad figure right at the beginning, but the rest of the mm-hmm. movie he's not. But just the way he's he's trying to get home from this meeting, and while he's on his way home, he calls his wife to explain why he's late, and he's telling her about all these traffic problems, and as he's saying this, you're watching his car drive down completely empty streets. So mm-hmm. I, you get the impression he's supposed to be the bad dad who's avoiding his family, but the rest of the movie doesn't do that. So Right. Now, one of the things I noted in the beginning is, so that a holiday party for his company that makes toys, and his department particularly has launched, like, the greatest toy in the season. And so he is asked to give a speech to this party, and this is a grand opportunity for the character to show how much of a bad person he is, but... This film takes it in a different direction in that he is very kind in his words. He's very thankful to his employees. He is a good person at heart. That is what they want to sell, and that's what they show him doing first. Although he also makes a comment about how nobody's families are there and points out that some guy is sitting there with his secretary on his lap. Yes, and that is the first adult (laughs) humor thing in the movie. And the thing, my question is, it's a Christmas party after... His department did something super, super great. That's probably important for his job to be at. Why didn't they just say that? Why didn't he just say, I have to be at this party for work. It is important to my job. Can you drop him off a little bit later? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think, well, getting to that part of it, where he gets home, he gets his son, and his son does not want to spend time with him at all. So much so that he tells his mom, you have to come get me as soon as the sun comes up tomorrow on Christmas Day. And Tim Allen takes offense of this the next morning, which we're skipping his adventures at the North Pole. We can get back to that. But the next morning, he wakes up, and his mom is there immediately as soon as they get up. And he is rightfully angry that he didn't get to spend Christmas morning with his son. He got to spend like an hour of Christmas with his son before the mom shows up and takes him back. And I don't, did they ever explain where the, I guess not his wife, his ex-wife, whoever, whoever Mm -hmm. she is, the the child's mother. um, Did they ever explain where she was going with Neil or just I think just home. Just that he yeah. got custody for that night or something. Yeah, it's it's a joint custody situation. I think he argued to have Christmas Eve and part of Christmas, and then they would have the rest of Christmas. Uh but before we get too far ahead, uh let's <laughs> go to picture. what? It's called the Do It All for You Dolly. Oh, and what what all does she does for me? <laughs> Taxes. oh yes can i get one i would buy this doll i mean (laughs) at kids doll prices i could use an accountant for that much (laughs) oh okay you sent an image and it popped up here and it's interesting anyway (laughs) i told you i found the creepy ice sculpture um (sighs) oh oh um going back he gets home he gets his son and he tries to cook dinner Uh, He doesn't realize that turkeys take four hours to cook, and he still attempts to make one. Uh, It sets on fire, and he uses a fire extinguisher incorrectly to get it to go out. And this was like the prank candle of turkeys. Like, Mm -hmm. it's completely out, and it's like, nope, on fire again. (laughs) 
Well, I think it's because he's not pointing it at the turkey. Like the first time you see him, he's pointing it at the stove lid and the turkey is still in the oven. So maybe the mashed potatoes are also on fire. Well, yeah, it's it, quite possible. It's, it's, There's it's, that whole spread of food that is yeah, ruined. Yeah, because good... this is the first time I've noticed that literally everything on the table is also burnt. Like yes. the rolls are burnt. Everything is burnt. And I liked how it went from like, like he goes to, he, you realize he's about to cook dinner and then it shows you this amazing food all perfectly made and in these really nice dishes all laid out all over the table and then it zooms out and that was like a cooking show on tv and then it pans over to his table where everything is burnt and ugly yeah my question is with this guy the guy who is a kind of a workaholic very good at his job spending a lot of time at the office why does he own a cookbook this is the type of character that should just have takeout menus I mean, maybe it's he bought it when the divorce happened and he was trying to be a better father. That's I, I mean, it would have, I guess my situation that I'm imagining would not make <laughs> them go to child. Denny's because that's what they end up doing for dinner is they go to Denny's uh, and a la Christmas Carol or no, uh, a Christmas story. There's an Asian party going on here. Here's the question. Yeah. I know it's a stereotype for for restaurants open Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Wasn't there a Chinese restaurant open? Uh, I don't would think anything think so. else was open because that's why they yeah, ended up there. It was also, nothing was open. But it was also very late at night. That's true. And Denny's is always open. Yeah, I just love that like, oh, you're clearly not a part of this Asian party. I will sit you in the divorce father section. Yeah, yes, I like that. Because every literally... other person in there was, uh, is, oh, dad burnt the turkey. Oh, and then she brings it's, into this room where it's all it's single fathers. It's weird thing in the 90s where like in the 80s and 90s divorce was coming becoming a lot more common and normalized and there was just this stereotype of oh look at these these useless divorce dads who apparently caught themselves on fire and it's a very 90s thing that you don't necessarily quite see as much anymore because yeah it's like every decade has the thing that's a trope of families that they're trying to normalize i would say the thing for today's family is having same-sex parents mm -hmm. or, or just some sort of like really mixed non-traditional families right is kind of the thing kind of the modern so that those family families sort of are thing. getting a bit more representation i mean but in the, the 90s, 90s were doing that for divorced families yeah but it it's just such a 90s thing that whole restaurant scene with my you. my favorite father in this section is the one who has like the burn cast yeah. on as if he went to the hospital to get you know his medication and then immediately came to denny's I mean, where else are you going to go on the way home from the hospital? <laughs> I don't know. And I hop. What's what, because Tim Allen comes and sits down while he's looking at all these people and he looks up and says, oh, burn the turkey. And the guy kind of nods and waves at him with a cast on his hand. I also like the, the kid is a very good actor in this film. He and Denny's really shows uh, his disappointment with his father. He's uh, a very serious child. Yes. Even in his joy about Santa that you see later on, I believe he says, he is so serious about it because every way he describes why Santa should exist is like textbook, like psychology things. And you're like, this this child is strange, but it works because the father's kind of this big kid because it's Tim Allen. Mm -hmm. 
and Neil is just a crazy person. <laughs> and so well, you have we, this. We will, by measures, get to Neil. <laughs> oh, the Neil. line that really sold his disappointment in this is like everything the kid wants at this Denny's restaurant, they are out of. And he's like, Do you have chocolate milk? We're out. Uh, regular is fine. We're and out just of like, apple pie. Everything that he wants isn't happening, and Tim Allen can't do anything about it. I think that that really sells it, and especially because later in the night, he compels Tim Allen to put on the suit and to deliver these presents. He's a very think, convincing small child. I think this restaurant scene really sets up you know, Tim Allen trying to compensate for every relationship problem that they've had previous. Yeah, because as much as it is, it's a Santa movie about Santa and Christmas, really at the heart of it, it's a movie about this father and son forming a relationship and him mm -hmm. becoming Santa is just kind of the catalyst for that happening. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to them getting home, uh, sitting down and reading that story. It was the night before Christmas. Which I sets love... up a lot of word puns later. Oh boy, howdy does it. The what the Rose Suchik Clatter? Such a the, or ladder? Such a ladder. ladder company. Uh I can never say that right. As hard as I try. Well, you kind of have to slur it together. <laughs> I love how in this scene, Charlie is being the uh, kind of the lawyer of the situation, trying to figure out the logic of this story. And like he keeps poking holes in every single part of the story. And it's just like, oh, maybe mythology is flawed and more of a metaphor and for then it's, all nope, religions. It's true. Yes. Santa's real. He's so, on my roof. Yes. He's not on my roof. <laughs> I have a fan theory that we are by measures getting to about this Santa. Because he comes to the house, he lands on the roof, creating a a, a clatter, if you will. Um, and, you know, they wake him up. They wake Tim Allen up. He goes running out to go check on this guy who has landed on the roof. My fan theory, because Santa slips off, falls to the snow, and dies. My fan theory is that this is another divorced father who put on the costume earlier and is just <laughs> really bad at the job. Yeah, we don't know how long he's been Santa for. And maybe because there's Hours. a plot hole created by the second movie. Maybe he hasn't been fan Santa for very long because we learned in the second movie there must be a Mrs. Claus. And That's true. There is no Mrs. Claus ever mentioned. She's because it's a very short period of time they show up at the North Pole, mm -hmm. so it's not like they like kicked her out immediately. So maybe he's only been the Santa Claus for a year. And wow, that opens up another thing. Like, if this guy had a missus, did they just? Are they monitoring Santa's health? Realize that, oh, there's a new Santa. Goodbye, you're out forever. Although, because Santa waves at them after they take his card. Oh, you mean during his death rattle? And he just kind of yeah, maybe Sa out of Santa's suit. don't actually die. So maybe I'm they just fake death when they want to retire. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> maybe he was just tired of it and decided he would pretend to be dead so the guy he, would take the suit and then he ran away when they weren't looking. Yeah. Um, but they seemed very, at the beginning of this, he thinks it's just some like burglar or some weird guy on his roof that fell off and is now dead. They seem very unconcerned by this guy who just fell off the roof and is dying. They don't attempt to call 911. They don't check pulse. They don't do anything. They do not care that this man is dead at yeah, all. They get over his death real quick. 
They just decide, uh, but presents got to be delivered. I suppose it's Christmas. Now, like, I mean, as an adult, when... maybe, but you think the kid would at least have a, it'd be impacted by that a little bit. And and this is before they see the sleigh or find the ladder. It's just some guy fell off their roof and is now dying and not concerned at all. They do not care about this man. <laughs> and I'm surprised in a film like this, where they, they get into like the technology of the elves and the magic and whatnot, like the sleigh doesn't have any sort of cloaking device on it. How has nobody seen this before? Because you're supposed to be asleep. That's but the rules. That's a better question. If Santa's real in this universe, did he not know that they were awake in the house? They weren't awake until he made noise. But then they were, and he should be aware of it. Well, this was real. (coughs) This may come up later, but that was part of the thing that I decided. Maybe he just did it on purpose because he was sick of doing that job. (laughs) So he (laughs) made noise that somebody would come out there four hours. I can't stand. I just figured somebody, you know, he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna make a bunch of noise so someone will notice me, and then I will die so that they can take over for me." Yeah, maybe you know, Mrs. Maybe it's really dark. Maybe Mrs. Claus died, and he didn't ooh. want to be alone anymore, and so he just wanted out of the Santa game. You know, to your point, nobody at the North Pole is sad to see the previous Santa gone. But maybe they're immortal elves, so maybe they're not really seen, surprised either. So though. maybe right. they've seen so many Santas come and go that it's just just another one. It's like the Lord of the Rings elves are like, we don't care about human lives. You die so many times over in our lifetime that we don't care. Christmas elves are terrible, terrible little people. They refuse to help you and people come and take your kingdom and then a dragon gets all of your gold. They need to have some ELFS. Oh, we are by measures getting to that acronym, which I have <laughs> notes on. Um, I don't even remember what it stands for, but it was something. Uh, I wrote it down. It's on screen for like two seconds. Yeah. But okay, so they, they put on the costume. Um. And the kid convinces Tim Allen, well, we have to deliver presents. Santa is dead. We're the only ones there. We have to save Christmas. And in another movie, this would be the entire movie where they are saving Christmas. Mm -hmm. But this is more or less just the cold open. It's the inciting incident. Uh, So Tim Allen puts on the suit, grabs the sack. I love the mythology this set up where the sack doesn't hold all of your presence. It only holds the presence for the specific house you are going to. And then you are sucked down either the chimney or some sort of exhaust pipe and it makes a chimney. That type of magic really works for me and really sells Santa in this universe. Although the the special effects are a little dated, but agreed. <laughs> but it's a I mean, good, they I like, do like the idea behind it. And they're too bad because they don't do anything yeah. really he- that needs heavy lifting. You just kind of right. Yeah. It's it's a mixture between CGI and practical effects. Yeah. Because like once the chimney is made, it is a practical chimney right. or yeah. fireplace. I mean, it's not Terminator. Like bad. Him shrinking down <laughs> to fit into the tube was a little. Yeah, that me, that is but... fair. Uh, one thing I noticed here is every gift he is taking out of his sack is unwrapped. Did yeah. Santa just not wrap <laughs> presents anymore? Um, it's because the guy, the elves in the wrapping department are too busy macking on Judy, so they didn't get any work done. <laughs> too too busy busting rhymes. For some reason, that's the line to remember. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm seeing someone in the wrapping department. <laughs> uh, though I do love the little girl he runs into. Sarah? Because 
it it is so great because it bookends the film and it's such a difference between his first Christmas and his next Christmas, where this first one, he He's is so to put children. upon to be doing this work. He just wants to go to bed and have Christmas with his son. And the little girl wakes up and he's just like, oh, go back to bed, please. For, for the love of God, I'm just getting through this. Do you think she has a real bedroom or do you think she's always on the couch? Uh, I think her family's a little bit poor. I mean, they put out milk and celery. They couldn't even afford cookies. <laughs> Although, I mean, some kids like to sleep on the couch Christmas Eve just to wait. To yeah, see that was if my Santa question. Is, is she doing it just to wait for Santa, or is she just she has no bedroom and we should feel real sad for her because all she got was a raggedy and all. Oh boy, that's well, rough and this stuff. is also the part where she asks him if he's going to drink the milk, and he tells her, "No, I'm lactose intolerant." Because he's she still grumpy about and it. And she gets soy milk, uh, and it's the cutest thing. It's it's really nice. She's a very sweet child. So I guess I wanted to open up more of a conversation, getting away from the film for a second. They put out milk and celery, which is you know their tradition. I've heard of other traditions. From we are a milk and cookies family. Is that the same for you guys? We did milk and cookies until, so about the last year when I knew Santa wasn't real, but I hadn't quite admitted it yet. What? I, I said that we should put out milk and dill pickles because my theory was, I know Santa's not real, so he's not going to come eat the milk and cookies. So I'll put out milk and pickles and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night and sneak out and eat the pickles because I really like pickles. That does not surprise me at all. So I wanted to scam the Santa Claus system. I feel like, right. though, eating for, pickles with For legal purposes, this gross. podcast does not uh, confirm or deny the existence of Santa. This is only the opinions of individual members of this podcast. The, the jury point is, is did out. not eat the pickles, and I probably ate the pickles. I mean, I did eat the pickles. Uh, huh. But that's how my I, parents knew that I no longer believed in Santa. So because I, I don't even know if we ever put anything out. Interesting. You just did nothing whatsoever? Yeah. Because my family grew up around Philadelphia, and one of the Philadelphia traditions is, is that you put out beer and pretzels for Santa. Philly's weird. It's very she, strange. Now, Sarah, why did like, you have your parents do that with you? <laughs> but, like, if I'm a parent, I probably want the beer and pretzels more than I want the milk and cookies. Oh, I'd want the milk and cookies because I don't like beer. <laughs> uh... Also, in the same sequence, he's going from house to house, getting different presents out. This is where it's a great physical gag that he pulls an entire canoe out of his sack and starts, like, swinging it around and it knocks over the tree, which amazingly doesn't wake anybody up. But, like, who's that canoe for? I thought Santa was mostly for kids. It's for the nine-year-old training for the canoeing Olympic. <laughs> Wasn't Are the there kayak? canoeing Olympics? <laughs> I'm sure there's rowing, right, of some sort. Kids rowing, I believe row. you, but it's a little different than canoeing. I don't know. It was a kayak, right? Not a canoe? Or was what it a canoe? I think it was a kayak. Okay. But I can't I, tell I, the difference. Well, anyway. Maybe there's some adults that keep that spirit and have not lost. Because Judy says something about most adults don't believe or something maybe there's some adults that still believe and they get a kayak are you wait judy uh judy, judy is the, the waitress no judy no. the elf <laughs> mark because he said something about i don't i don't really i stopped believing in santa or something like that and she's like that's not surprising most adults have but she said yeah most. In fact, so, her line is is well i don't know if we're there yet 
So he's there talking about, well, I'm at the North Pole and I'm seeing this stuff, but I still don't believe it. And she says, well, for some people, seeing is believing, but for other people, believing is seeing. And it's right. kind so of it's, an interesting so twist on words way to look yeah, at it. Yeah, I guess her point is that for children, it they don't have to come to the North Pole. The belief in Santa is enough that makes it real for them. Whereas people like Tim Allen... And especially like Neil in this film, they have to see the magic to believe it's even happening. Uh, so my note on this, after they fly to the North Pole, they just get there and they stare at a pole and nothing happens for like a good two minutes. These people would be dead from exposure. They are wearing <laughs> just the lightest of clothing. Maybe they're in a magic Santa bubble. Well, you know, when he first got in the sleigh, he the was wearing pack. boxers and he's out there. And that's why he had to put on the Santa suit because he's like, you want me to deliver presents in my underwear? And the uh, kid why is everything I want to do stupid? <laughs> that is the line that the son gets him to put on the Santa clothing, which apparently bonds him for life to become Santa. Oh, the line is, that's not surprising. Most grownups can't believe in magic. Ah. Maybe magicians. Maybe magicians get to still have Santa presents. <laughs> maybe a oh. Penn and Teller. So it's a it's a magician you know, maybe, kayaker. <laughs> I was thinking maybe the previous Santa was a magician explaining his disappearance. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. Uh, it's a very nice song when they get to the North Pole, though. I loved the yes. song. In fact, I loved I all of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, they, you mean the background or the one that they sing? The elves song, yeah. I think. Where it's like sweet little children sopranos singing Oz. Yes, sort of boys who have not yet hit puberty doing <laughs> the best that they can. Oh, so a little earlier in the scene, at one point in time in the sleigh, they have a puppy. Where'd the puppy go? Uh, I think they had to deliver it. Did and they again, they the decided not to wrap sack? it. Yeah, I think so. That puppy just has to sit in that sack. He's it just only appears there. in the sack. Yeah, he's only there for like, Two seconds. Is there like a portal? A portal yes. between the sack? Well, I don't know the sack magic because everything else seems to be like. I thought it was more like, like Mary Poppins bag. Oh, interesting. Oh, I think they have like a room thing? at the North Pole and they just hand things through the portal that show up in the bag when he gets places. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I thought it was just like Mary Poppins bag where and it's got different compartments for different. So I disagree with that, Sarah, because on screen we see the bag empty completely and then the next second he looks at it and it's full again if it had secret compartments and everything he would have to dig around a little bit but it's it's a magic bag but i think it's all in the bag it's just the bag is magic and decides what comes out of the bag i'm with mark on this one where either the bag is magic and those things aren't in the bag and they form in the bag once they get to the home or the elves are feeding stuff through because what are the elves doing they had to manufacture all this including making a puppy apparently <laughs> i don't like the implications of that i think we should move on <laughs> uh, uh okay so they get into the north pole facility and this i really liked the mythology of the setup where this is a high-tech facility which is a long way from the wooden production shop we've seen before uh and like, it's a modern factory, but, like, the elves live there. This is a community where everything is happening all at once. And this is their have... Super Bowl. There's people running everywhere. And there's some sort of, like, they've got 
town structure because there's the whole thing about the polar bear directing traffic. Right. And also they have spare reindeer. Like there's some reindeer that don't get to go for the trip. They just are there. Oh, yeah. They're spare reindeer. You know, I think it might be another situation where if one of the named reindeer dies, they just find a new Blitzen. This is actually Comet the Fifth. <laughs> well, I noticed he they comes didn't from have a any long Rudolph line of comets. What? There's no. There was no Rudolph anywhere. Correct. So. Yeah. Uh, apparently, that hasn't happened yet, or maybe they're still laughing at him and calling him names. <laughs> maybe it. There was no Rudolph the second. The the nose trait didn't get passed on, so they didn't get another Rudolph. They just gotta wait for that another mutant gene to pop up. Yeah, and then they can have Rudolph the <laughs> second. Uh, though it does introduce uh, David Krumholtz, who I love from I, Numbers. I love, I love him, him from in, Ten Things I Hate About You. He's great in so many things. He's great in this. Yes. Because he's uh, basically playing... like this grumpy old man in a teenager's yeah. body, which is the whole thing about the elves, is they're they're all hundreds of years old Mm -hmm. and so they're all these adults and so even judy is kind of like this this grandmotherly figure in a 10 year old's body yeah and and so it works really well he's like this grumpy old man in like a 16 year old's body is great just like me well yeah (laughs) you're not in a 16 year old's body but yeah the other part fits (laughs) that shoe fits but not the pair uh so i really liked uh, the characterization they gave him where he's running the show. There's a new Santa. Santa's come and go, but he's running the show. He is the production manager. He is getting things done for Christmas. And then whoever is Santa is just the front man showing all the work that the factory is doing. Although what's interesting is that he starts asking them who's in charge and they say you are. And he says, well, who's the head elf? And they say you are. Well, yeah. But he's not really an elf, so I don't know how that works. I think in some mythologies he is. Yeah, but in this one he isn't, which is interesting. In the real world, he was a saint (laughs) who punched someone in the face once. Cool. Because <laughs> he nice. thought they were being a heretic, and so he punched them. That's I just like the whole mythology in this movie, though. It it explains why Santa could be around for so long. Yeah. Because it's not always uh, the same it's Santa. It's like the, that theory but... that James Bond is a title and not a real person. Santa isn't a person. It's a title. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Though apparently putting on the suit does inject you with some sort of weird <laughs> DNA swap where Santa you become magic. the Santa ideal. Yeah. Uh, though, so the whole thing, the crux of the movie relies on the quote unquote Santa Claus, which is like a clause, not in clause, but like clause, uh, where it's the <laughs> like clause. <laughs> like, <No>. like cats. <laughs> no, yep. You nailed it. No. Uh, Santa just climbs up wall. Like the last line of a cl- of a contract, uh, and he takes out the card that is just Santa Claus North Pole, where apparently the border is the very very fine print, which explains the contract. Which I think is really funny that they get apparently their Santa Clauses through kind a of a legal loophole. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Though Bernard specifically has the line: when you put on the suit and the hat, you you release all rights to your former identity. Tim Allen never put on the hat. He put on the suit, was not wearing a hat at all that first Christmas. Oh, Santa Claus 4, the legal loophole. Yes. Where he's like, I don't want to be Santa anymore. I didn't put on the hat. I don't think there will be because Santa Claus 3 already did time travel and kind of jumped the shark. 
I didn't see the third one. I only saw the second. One. The Mrs. Claus. The Mrs. Claus. <laughs> the one with the I'm robot. sure they'll all be on TV this within the next couple My of sister weeks. owns all of them, and I'm not sure if she's oh. going to make me watch them, but she might. And I think this scene also has the line where Tim Allen is just, I don't believe in Santa. And he breaks the hearts of every child in the room. You and mean, L production really, stops. Really there are no children in the room. I feel like it's a little bit of a con on their part because, I mean, these people in this room are older than he is, but I feel like they're using their childlike appearance to guilt him. Yeah, it, like a lot. Yeah, because every other time, anytime he's like, hey, kid, they're like, I am decades older than you. What is wrong with you? I but have this shoes one moment, that are older than yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> and and in but in this one moment when it works to advantage, we're like we're just sad little kids. <laughs> now, one final thing in this scene: Bernard sees uh, what's his face, the young chick. Charlie. Is that Charlie? Charlie? Sees Charlie. She's like, "Hey, kid, how's it going? Uh, I'll Sport. give you this snow globe that is very old and very important to me, and I happen to carry around with me wherever I go." Maybe he also has a magic bag. I wonder like, if Bernard was Santa's son, and so he ooh. had the snow globe to always call Santa back. Now that's—I want to know the backstory on this globe because <laughs> well, it's I'm sure so. There's fan theories, maybe. Because it's so important to him, and he's willing to give it over at a moment's notice and not store it anywhere where it could be safe. Maybe this is how he keeps track of Santa's. Maybe this is how he knew that the old Santa died. Maybe. At one point when Charlie is looking at it, it is showing his own house. Mm. It's an old-timey man GPS tracker. Yes, uh, but let's move on. Uh, so past we get to the morning after. Although, oh, one thing in this is in <laughs> the back. bedroom scene yes. where he has a duty. For some reason, they have a Punch and Judy stage. They sure do. Which was weird to me because this is a U.S. movie for a U.S. audience. Punch and Judy isn't really a super common U.S. thing. No, it's more, it's more British. British. And so I'm like, why is why even have it? I think it's for not... international audiences, yeah. though. That also means that there's puppeteers hanging out in Santa's bedroom constantly, they're watching magic, him undress. They're magic puppets. It's the polar bear. <laughs> well, but I mean, Santa goes all over the world, so it would make sense to have some international it, things it just, there. Not plot-wise, just production-wise. It just seemed like a weird toy to have when it's not yeah. a really U.S. Christmas tradition. So speaking of other weird toys, which is a bad segue, but I'm going to use it to get to the next <laughs> scene where they get to Christmas morning. He kind of debates whether this was real or not. Charlie starts opening his gifts. He has this weird toy, which is an amount. This it's an amalgamation of skateboards. I don't understand what <laughs> it, it is, is for. The transformer of skateboards. So to describe it to our audiences, think of three skateboards where one is sitting flat on the ground and the other two are on either side but arced up like 30 degrees. It's like if a skateboard and a scooter had an abomination of a baby. It's the centipede of skateboards. <laughs> I need to see if I can find a picture of this one too. Like I, and like on the other side, uh, at the very end of this thing, you know, with the arced skateboards, on either side is a handle making me think like maybe this is intended to be a skateboard slash scooter but i don't understand what the skateboard in the back is doing are you supposed is there a rolling action that is supposed to happen with this i am so confused by this toy mark has found it is it that thing 
so that's not actual skateboards, I don't think. This one was. I think this is one that you would like sit on though, and then you could roll around in it. Would that make sense? Maybe. I just don't know. I don't know what this toy is. It's very confusing. I maybe if I'd been a cool hip skater boy in the mid nineties, I would know what that thing was. That picture that I found is called the Radboard. The Radboard. The Rad. Oh God. (laughs) It doesn't sound very nineties at all. No, but guess what? This is another gift in this film that is not wrapped at all. This is a universe that does not believe in wrapping presents. Even and I'm when not at, on board with it. Well, that. we're skipping a lot, but at the end, he drops presents out of the sleigh to people, and none of those are wrapped either. Well, one is in what appears to be the golden snitch from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> the weenie whistle. The weenie whistle. Yeah. Uh, so the weenie whistle explains all of Neil's trauma and why he is such a nerd. So we are in the morning after where Tim Allen believes it was all a dream. But wait, pajamas, because uh, he is still wearing Santa Claus's outfit. And this is where Charlie starts making trouble with his mom, who is there literally minutes after they have gotten up. Uh, once again, illustrating that Tim Allen gets no time with his children. And by children, I mean child. Um, Neil is the second child. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but Charlie makes things bad because they had told him that Santa wasn't real. And Tim Allen disagreed with this, which is another like real to life divorced dad conversation he has with the mother where that's a big decision to determine whether or not your child will believe in Santa. And Tim Allen is not a part of it anymore. Uh, but like Charlie goes on telling the mom about the whole adventure is getting the dad in trouble because he was supposed to not, uh, you know, solidify Santa in this child's mind, which is a nice uh, foreshadowing to what happens later. Neil just has a stick up his butt through the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Let's, let's get to Neil. Let's talk about his story. He's he's better in the later movies. Is he still in the later movies? I, I don't even remember if I, I think I've seen them, but it's been a while. They have a kid in the second one. There's Lucy who's the daughter of the mom and um, Neil. Oh. Yeah. I just, I don't remember anything. I remember it being the Mrs. Claus and literally nothing else. There's a robot the and third do weird, one terrible reindeer. Like- do they have to save Christmas from the robot? Yeah, because he, when he goes to find his wife, he leaves a robot version oh, of himself in charge. Oh, yes. And it turns I evil. The third one is like Jack Frost shows up and wants to take over Christmas or something. <laughs> it's, it's Played by Martin with... Short. Yep, yes. your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with Martin Short? Uh, he's a bit over the top for me. I like, I like him in some things. Uh, Jiminy Glick is where I jumped on off board with him. Anywho. I don't know what that means. Uh, it was a talk show character that uh, Martin Short did. Who God. was the guy from that Ants movie that you liked so much? <laughs> Woody Allen. That's the no, one. It was not Woody <laughs> Allen. Uh, but Charlie believing in Santa Claus starts this whole uh, side plot where, like, he sits down with the principal, and the principal's like, You can't bring this to school. He's harming the belief systems of other children. He, he is clearly convinced that Santa is real, and he's a little too old to be believing that. Uh, and I feel like, like that's not a decision the school should make. 
but it's not. But they also cannot have a child come in and say, proclaim Santa is real. Everybody, I have proof because then it's not a decision that the, the other children's parents get to make. So every family can have their own belief system, but school is not the place to discuss it. I don't know. I think they just humor him and be like, "Uh uh-huh, and he'd be the crazy kid that no one ate lunch with anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But it also brings up uh, Neil starting to psychoanalyze Charlie. And this is... I think it's interesting to me that that Charlie goes around telling everybody about this. And Tim Allen denies it to everyone, and they don't believe him. They start saying that it's Tim's fault, and that he's the one propagating all of this. And I'm like, well, he's telling you that he didn't believe it in the first place, and he thought it was a dream and all this, but they don't believe him. So I I guess it's just interesting that it's always the dad's fault, but... (laughs) I think they blame it on him because he's the one benefiting from this delusion. And especially once he starts gaining weight and growing out the beard despite all his protests he is putting on the appearance of santa that is true he could have fixed it by having his ex-wife come and see him shave and (laughs) then show up later and see him with the full beard and be like something's wrong (laughs) i can't fake this that is a great scene in this movie like where he's at the doctor and like describing all the problems he is having and then it goes on to like he shaves off the beard and when he starts wiping off the saving cream he has a brand new beard um <laughs> but he's at the doctor his heartbeat is jingle bells <laughs> there there's a line i like in this area dealing with charlie where he says something and neil's like you're gonna make a good psychiatrist someday and he's like no i'd rather take after go into the family business. I'm like, you want to push your dad off the roof? That That is the the final line of the film. That's way at the end. (laughs) That is the last line of this movie. Did I not take any notes for like an hour? It's quite possible. (laughs) You were just so into the movie. Uh, So what happens here is we get Neil (laughs) psychoanalyzing Charlie uh, and him starting to believe that maybe Scott shouldn't be around his son anymore. Maybe Tim Allen should just be out of the picture, uh, which is really not great uh, also, for don't a, you treat know, your children. Stepfather, take them like to patients. someone else. Yes, you're a bit too close to the situation. I get yeah. to like we're worried about our son. We think he's getting too into his fantasy world. How about we're too involved in this personally and have a bias? But I have other friends in the industry. I'll take them to one of them. Yes. So that there's not a conflict. Yes. Ugly sweater man. <laughs> <laughs> so this is also where another one of my favorite scenes happens in this film. So Tim Allen starts putting on weight. And this fat suit is great. In that it looks like Tim Allen has put on a good 150 pounds. Uh, and he goes to a business meeting where he's supposed to be discussing the new toy line. He gets there late wearing sweatpants because none of his clothes fit. And they decide to have a business lunch. And he orders all of these sweets, uh, even though he's blamed his fatness on a bee sting. The thing that I realize as an adult is that the company is paying for this lunch. And he's getting a lunch three times as large as anybody else at that table. (laughs) He is wasting company money to eat, like, Everything on the menu, including a hot fudge sundae. I want the hot... Okay, we need to stop talking about this food because I really want cookies. <laughs> uh, also, this is a, a universe where 
the likeness of Santa is not owned by Coca-Cola because this company wants to use him in an advertisement to sell a tank toy. But Scott doesn't like that idea. And he doesn't like the elves. Well, yes. It's because he wants it to be like the real elves that he doesn't believe in. I always <laughs> looking like thought that one guy who's giving that presentation yeah. was going to come back more because he seemed like he should have been like this kind of villain character that Scott has to go up against. No, he's just at the meeting and he ha- has a dumb pitch and bye. Well, yeah, uh, let's talk about the pitch. The pitch, he is selling a tank toy that is designed to break so that parents have to buy more pieces to fix it and then it breaks again. Like, it's not a toy that kids will want to play with. I don't see this selling well. It's just, let's get as much money as we can real quick. Isn't that how it works? No, because that'll tank your company because... Uh, yeah, tank. Yeah, it'll work for a, a short amount of time for the first couple times I buy, and then they're like, it's not worth it anymore. We'll never buy anything from this company again, and you no longer have any more So the other thing I want to talk about is that this is the last time we see him at work at all. Mm-hmm. From this point on, he goes to, like, doctor's visits, but he's not working. I'm pretty sure, like, he's on administrative leave or he has lost his job, and the film does not acknowledge this. I would put up, say, maybe the leave kind of happens when he has that talk with his boss, and his boss is like, you need to get help. Right, but that, so... Time is weird in this movie because we see him at his the first Christmas. It ends at the next Christmas. So we see an entire year on film, but no context as to when specific scenes happen. So when do you think he lost his job in that course of the year? Or when do you think he was put on administrative leave? When is soccer season? <laughs> Summer? There's one in the spring and one in the fall. At least that's how it was in Pee Wee's. <laughs> Well, it would be Pee Wee because he's at his kids' game, right? Yeah. So. Okay. So, so it's one of those two things. Cause at it's right best here. guess, start a fall, meaning that whole previous year we've not seen him at all. So I've, I'm curious when he had time to read the list. Uh, So I think in the mythology, he's given this list at Thanksgiving. No, wait, he goes back at Thanksgiving. So maybe like Halloween? I don't know. I, I think it's part of his mythical. Show up and he didn't think that. You know, because he still wasn't, didn't believe that he was Santa and all these boxes show up that Bernard had warned him about. So at this point, he doesn't really want the job still, so he's not going to read it then. So when did he find the time to do it? I think when he started believing, because that's, there's the scene where he's walking on the street, pointing out like each kid, he's like, Johnny, naughty, Susie, (laughs) very nice. Ooh, Catherine, he sees a full grown woman. (laughs) Very nice. And, and she's like, lady, in your like, dreams, Sandy. Glares at him. But I do like that the beginning of the list is real people. Yeah. Because yeah. I can't remember what the name he says is, but one of the other names on the list is Andre Agassi, the tennis player. So it's it's real people, which I think is funny. Oh, see, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I did. But yeah, he's got at like uh, one of those legal boxes per letter in the alphabet, which has to hold at least like a thousand people. Uh, But this is also the really sad part of the film where Neil and the mom see Calvin growing weight and growing a beard. They think he's supporting this and Neil decides, well, we've got to cut off visitation rights. So there's this whole subplot where they go through the legal uh, process to remove the parental rights of Scott Calvin from his child. 
and it succeeds because the child sits down with the judge and the judge decides, yeah, your dad's not really Santa Claus. He shouldn't be uh, propagating this delusion. It's not good for you. And and it's hard to be like, you feel angry about it in the universe where we know Santa is real and we know that this is a wrong. But taking it from the judge's point of view, where it just seems like this delusional man who is causing trouble for this family. Yeah, I can kind of see why that happened. Right. But he doesn't interview Tim Allen at all. It's a one-sided conversation. I, I wonder if, like, it's just stuff that got left out. Maybe. If this is, like, the end of meetings and they've had meetings before this. Yeah. That'd be real, real downer for this movie if they had, like, a 20-minute scene of them just doing, like, <laughs> family court. <laughs> Unless they got Judge Judy. <laughs> yeah, she's a no-nonsense judge that we need in this movie. Uh, but this is also the point where they establish what gifts the other parents didn't receive as children, which is what made them believe there was no Santa. And the really sad thing that Neil stopped believing at three because he didn't get the toy that he wanted. My question is, why didn't they get the toy? I feel like at three, I wouldn't even have remembered that as an adult. My yeah. guess is that they didn't write to Santa because it did seem like this was their heart of hearts gift that they didn't tell anybody the else the that they wanted. the mom said she wrote to Santa every week for the entire year. That was the whole thing. She said she wrote a letter every week. Maybe they got it on a building year for Santa. Maybe she was my, naughty. Maybe she was, <laughs> my thing was like, well, maybe at a certain age you stop getting the presents you want because you've reached the age where you need to grow up Three. and stop believing in magic. But then, yeah, maybe Neil is just some mutant thing where he needs to be an adult at <laughs> three years old because he is a crazy person. But for when it's like maybe seven, eight-year-old, yeah, okay, you stop receiving the gifts so you stop believing and you can, can transition into more mm -hmm. adulthood. And Neil is just a weird mutant that doesn't deserve happiness because <laughs> of his ugly sweaters <laughs> hey bernard likes the sweaters ah yes but bernard is a weird alien elf-like creature he's an old man yes now my fa my favorite thing about this scene is he loses his child rights meaning he cannot visit charlie anymore and the next scene is him going to charlie's house yes <laughs> and stalking the family and breaking his way in on thanksgiving and then absconding with the child. This is another subplot where he kidnaps his child for a month. I mean, I blame Bernard. He encouraged yeah. it. I mean, he was he was telling his son that he couldn't take him, and then Bernard showed up. Yeah, but like in film time, this is all of two minutes. In real world time, this is a month that this family does not have their child. I'm saying Scott Calvin is a monster. Yes, if you yes. see this from the other side... He he really is a crazy person who deserved to lose his son. <laughs> if you see it from, if there is no magic in this movie, he is a crazy man who kidnapped his son and has delusions and is crazy. All right. Now, it, it's a weird tone that they set because he takes Charlie, the parents freak out, they go to the cops, and it's a very serious kidnapping side plot. And then they cut back to the workshop where it's this Q-esque James Bond scene where they're doing all like these fun gadgets that children would go crazy for. Yeah, suddenly Charlie's now an engineering genius who can fix the sleigh. Yes, I though like his inventions. Let's put a hot cocoa dispenser. But he's like 
<laughs> when they first see him and during that scene, he's like in the inner workings of the sleigh, messing around with wiring and stuff. That's true. Who is letting him? He's never shown any inclination to mechanics before this. No. Before he had some knowledge of psychology, and that's about it. And like Santa, maybe the elves were teaching him. Although the um, James Bond Q sleigh, I don't know if you researched that. But the 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 elf he is introduced to when he shows up there, whose name is Quentin, and that was on purpose so that it was a reference to Q from James Bond. So I thought maybe that's why you said that. But no, I just made the parallel. But uh, one of the things they invent is a flame retardant suit, and it seems weird to me that fire has not been a problem for Santa before, and they don't <laughs> have a solution for that. Because he and goes then, specifically into fireplaces. And then Tim Allen's only worry is, what happens if I fall off a roof? <laughs> Which is a legitimate concern, given what we've seen happen to previous Santas. And a few years later in that movie Christmas with the Cranks, Tim Allen does fall off of a roof. <laughs> so. And then a new Santa Claus is crowned. Yeah. Uh, all right. So... I could actually do more of like the Q-esque development because we see some of the inventions in the sleigh. He takes off in a brand new sleigh uh, and we see just the flame retardant outfit that he's not wearing. I wanted to see more well, inventions. Said it, they said it goes under the suit. So he could okay, be he it. might be wearing it then. But like this is almost too quick and it's a it's a nice creative uh, side plot to this film that I wanted to see fleshed out a bit more. Yeah, I'd like to see more of the world at the North Pole. There's very little time spent there in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you get more of that in the second and third one, but they're not as good. I think there was a little too much time between sequels that the tone changed, and so... Well, the sequels, and this is true for most movie sequels, they forget the subplots of the original film. They forget mm. why people liked them. It's because they're balancing the subplot of the real world with this fantasy world. And this film does it great. And in the later films, they just focus on the fantasy. Mm -hmm. uh, but so they do this QS thing. They get in the sleigh. They take off. It's next Christmas. Um, we get the lactose intolerant bookend, which was great. I love this scene. And this is where Santa gets arrested. Because they stop by Charlie's house, and apparently, even though he has had this job for a month, the, the police have all the time in the world to pay five officers to be in the house Christmas night. Or, sorry, Christmas Eve night. Well, Maybe they, they just knew it, this was the time since he thinks he's Santa that would be the most common time. They had been it. actively searching for him yeah. in previous scenes. The cops were out looking for Santas. And then they had a scene where they were like, Captain, Captain whoever it was, was explaining to them, well, he will probably, we're going to focus on this area, this neighborhood, because this is where they live. And they probably just had the, the people there in the house just for Christmas because they figured that's the time he'll be back with his delusions of Santa. True. I am curious what city they live in that this town can dedicate an entire precinct to this one problem. I was going to come up with a funny joke and I lost it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll get there. Uh, so let's see. Oh, also, what time at night? This is another time thing that I'm curious about. What time at night would you guess Santa would be flying through the sky visiting homes? Midnight. I would agree. But every time they cut back to the Calvin house, or not the Calvin house, the mom's house where he gets captured, there are kids 
outside watching the police like they don't have a bedtime. To be fair, half of those kids are decoys you learn later. Sure, but some actual kids have to be there so that the decoys can blend in. Maybe this is the town of terrible parents. It's very possible. Tim Allen would fit in perfectly. Maybe they just woke up because of the commotion of the cops being there. Maybe, but why would they go outside? Why would the parents allow them to get on their coats and travel to this house that must be blocks away? Because it's Santa. But they don't know it's Santa. They know it's the (laughs) cops. Anyway, this is getting to Mart's favorite part, where Uh, a team of elves have uh to come save Christmas. I don't know why that's my favorite part. Well, you brought it up before. (laughs) So, Mark, if you're curious, this ELF squad, or uh, Effective Liberating Fight Squad, is what they are (laughs) called, uh, which is the worst backronym I have heard since Outtried Extra's Flamingos. Well, besides the fact that if they're saying elves, that's not spelled that way. Uh, They never say it. No, no. Actually, if we're talking historically, Originally, elves was spelled that way. It was Tolkien, I think, that changed it, where it was spelled with the plural being with a, a, a V, hmm. changing the, the plural. All right. I did not know this. I might be making this up, but I think that's right. Sarah never makes anything up. So what? this is the part of the film, which if, by measures we've gotten to the third act, this is the part of the film where I kind of checked out. This is... I think this whole squad thing is more for children than it is for adults. Because uh, it's kids saving Santa so that Santa can go deliver presents. And, like, they have fun gadgets and they have catchphrases that are more exciting to kids than they would be to me. Um, they they use the magic tinsel to break the, the chains. Or not the chains. The um, What's the door? The door hinges. things. Hinges of the door on the jail cell <laughs> to get Santa out. Uh, they also tie up a policeman. Um, Using, which, like, wrapping tape or something? Yeah. I do want to note out that this policeman, when they enter, is reading a romance novel. Ooh. Yeah. But it's clearly, like, one of those bare-chested uh, Fabio-type person on the cover. <laughs> also, I might be making up that thing. It might be dwarves I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> It has the same level of pluralization, and they're both fantasy creatures. That is true. Let's see. We're getting towards the end now. So Santa breaks out. Oh, wait. Before this, uh, the elves come and save Charlie, who's holed out on the roof where none of the cops could see him, apparently. And they do this thing that happens a lot in film, but usually it is justified. It drove me nuts in this film because it's not justified, where a character that can fly holds the hand of a character that cannot, but magically they can now fly somehow. In Peter Pan or in Superman, it makes sense. This kid just has a jetpack. Please put the other child in a harness so that you can both be safe. It's a magic jetpack. It's not, though. You don't know that they're Santa. <laughs> you, you know that they were just flying on wires, right? Not in the canonical existence of the world of this film what i think is weird about them is 
they kept doing flips all the time and i'm like if you're just trying to get there quickly and fly somewhere to rescue someone why do you need to do little jumps and flips when you take off and then after they jump off the roof they have to fly right by the policeman's head and hit him on the back of the head as they fly by and i'm like you're trying to be sneaky and go save santa yet you make yourself known right away (laughs) yeah i think it's because elves are supposed to be like little mischievous characters and this is like the only time where we see them interact with human beings besides santa santa's not human anymore he's something more well clearly i mean he has no control over his body he's gaining weight like crazy but yet he's still as healthy as a horse that's true uh the doctor told him as much i if i could live off a diet of cookies and still be healthy as a horse i would do it all right. So I'll we, be Santa. Uh, so we've gotten by measures to the, the final scenes of this film where he takes Charlie back and Charlie begs him to stay, but he can't because the world needs Santa. And boy, howdy, the kid acting in this is great. He is selling it. He is real good at getting actual tears. I had a moment here where, like, this movie made me feel things in a really significant way the only problem is this scene is immediately discredited by the next scene true though before we go on this is where the mom and neil see santa claus and somehow seeing him somehow looking into his eyes even though they know this is scott calvin they now believe in Santa Claus. Well, Neil kind of has a breakdown for a minute until he gets the weenie whistle. He's like, do, but you, he do you see this hallucination? He did. It's he, he does a double take. And on the second part of that take, he's just, oh, oh of course, Santa. I know what but, Santa looks like, even though but, I haven't seen him since I was three. But then he like collapses in the hallway and he's like, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this delusion? <laughs> uh, also, the cops are not there anymore. That he is broken out of jail and the cops have decided not to show up at the place or go into the house until he has time to leave. They're too busy rescuing that one dude tied to a chair. <laughs> it takes all of them. Uh, all right. Though, was the next scene you were talking about where he flies over and gives the gifts or where Charlie does the snow globe? The where Charlie does the snow globe. Okay. Because he literally says it 10 minutes later, right? Correct. Yeah. Before we get to that, let's do the gifts because this is a part that I remembered as a child that really filled me with joy where he flies over and he gives the two parents, mom and Neil, the one gift that they missed from childhood. Like, and particularly in this film, in this scene, the first gift comes down and it, the parachute hits the mom in the face and it immediately cuts away. (laughs) I did not actually notice that, but I think it's hilarious. It's great. Uh, but yes, then Charlie snakes the snow globe and his dad has to come back from well, Cleveland to visit him. Before this is the line that I tried to do earlier because apparently I'm missing a ton of notes. Is that I want to join the family business, which is, so you want to push your dad off a roof. Yes, I have to murder my father to become Santa Claus in the future. I better prepare for it now so when it happens, I am mentally ready. Gotta get my dad time now because... Once I get to be an adult, right. he's going to be dead. I'm going to super murder him because I really want to make more improvements on this sleigh. Uh. Though, the, so Charlie Snake Snow Globe, um, Scott Calvin comes back. He's just like, hey, I'll always be around. But like, oh, we just talked about this. Can I please go give gifts to the world? Yeah. And then he's like, do you want to come with me? And the mom's like, well, 
All right, if it's a really quick one, but not any over any oceans, and Scott Calvin has learned nothing this entire film and <laughs> takes off, uh, once again, kidnapping his child. Without saying anything, and then mother is like, Scott? Yeah. Santa? And that's how the film ends, wh- by illustrating that Scott Calvin has learned nothing, even though he is a supernatural, all-powerful being. So unless you guys have any other notes, let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game, where we take two properties and smash them together in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. So, Sarah, you are going to start us off. What is the Santa Claus in terms of other films. Okay, because it's a guy who says he's Santa Claus that people don't believe, but turns out to actually be Santa Claus. And a movie about kind of father-son dynamics and divorced households, kinda. It's Miracle on 34th Street meets Man of the House. Oh, okay. That movie, we did that one time. I thought you were going to steal two of mine. You only happen to steal one of mine. But we are by measures getting to that. Mark, what do you have? Uh, well, I might steal one of yours then. It's a, a a divorced man, we presume, becoming another person to spend more time with his kids. And it's also a Christmas movie about a father who doesn't believe in Santa or his elves. The movie involves an advanced sleigh full of technological gizmos, and part of the movie takes place at the North Pole. So we have Mrs. Doubtfire meets huh. Elf. Oh, yeah. That does steal one of mine. All right, my first one. I'll do the one Sarah stole. Um, A film with a young child touring a factory of his dreams run by a magic race and a boss who's a mixture of angry, sarcastic, and aloof, which ends with the child making plans to run the factory one day. And another film where a man filling in for another Santa comes to claim he actually is St. Nicholas, getting into legal trouble involving a child of divorce. This is Willy Wonka meets Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, really? <laughs> I, so I, I I kind of assumed you were going somewhere else with the first one. Oh, really? Are you serious? <laughs> I I guess, well, I had one in my head that may... That... But, but anyway, it's not <laughs> anyway. even on my list. I just heard you talking and thought it sounded like another Okay, movie. so because it's about father-son bonding time at Christmas and a person who, against his will, becomes a supernatural creature that deals with, or supernatural being that deals with children, it's Elf meets the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> 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 that rock film? Yeah. <laughs> oh my... Full disclaimer, I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, I haven't nobody either. has seen that movie. I don't even know how, like, like. there's a lot. I think that might be part of the problem I have with this sometimes is there are movies out there that probably would remind me of this if I had ever seen them. But I know he does but, become a tooth fairy, right? Yes, he becomes the tooth fairy. Isn't there a Christy Alley movie where she becomes a tooth fairy? Oh, there's lots of it's, movies where people become tooth Instead of going to fairies. hell? Because she's supposed to go to hell and instead she becomes a tooth fairy. Toothless. That's, that's toothless. You mean that character from How to Train Your Dragon? No, this Aww. was a wonderful world of Disney movie. Oh. What? And she, and she becomes a tooth fairy so she can go to heaven. <laughs> All right, Mark, what do you have here? That doesn't even make sense. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Because this is a comedy about Christmas where Santa ends up in jail and Christmas almost gets ruined for boys and girls all over the world. And it's a movie where the main character does not believe in Santa but changes his mind later on. There is a strong focus on believing versus seeing. Uh, lots of trains? And elves who are sarcastic and borderline cynical. We have Ernest Saves Christmas meets Polar Express. Very nice. Another one stolen. Well done. Um, so I have a team of small kids using jetpacks and secret gadgets disguised as every bit everyday objects to save a, adults related to them. Uh, and a film where an actor known for playing a dullard who grunts and has catchphrases in a film featuring Santa getting arrested and marketing Santa in a violent way, and the crowning of a new Santa Claus, it's Spy Kids meets Ernest Saves Christmas. And my final one, because I think both of you are out. I'm out. Uh, a divorced father continually failing to do right by his son, who uncontrollably loses control of himself because of his son's wishes, and a workaholic father trying to make things up to his son, who becomes his idol by dressing in a red suit, also featuring jetpacks and a defiant reindeer. It's Liar Liar meets Jingle All the Way. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go on to our second game, which is alternate tagline, a phrase you would see on the movie poster for this film uh, that kind of describes the spirit or theme of the film, though hopefully missing the point. Sarah, you're going to start us off again. What do you got? All right, the Santa Claus. Nothing says the holidays like child custody battles. <laughs> oh, it'd be funny if it weren't true. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My next one's better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mine. <clears throat> this Christmas, Scott Calvin is Santa without a clause. Uh, <laughs> nope. Uh, all right. I'll start off with my worst one. Uh, so the actual movie poster for this film is Santa Cla or Tim Allen in like Long John's where he's um, yeah, growing uh, in the waist uh, and mine would just be the Santa Claus. He's got a pretty big belt to fill. But before we go on to more of them, why don't we do the actual taglines? That was pretty close to one of the terrible ones. It sure I don't know. Was. I think I'm still mad about that tagline. My tagline? Oh, yeah. Wait till you hear the real ones. All right. I'm going to bring them up. Mark, I think you had one. I, yeah, I already one? have them open. Okay. Yeah, go, I've go, go. Um, so the one that, should I do that one? Yeah, do whichever one you like. The one that is related to what Carl just said. Scott Calvin must become Santa. No ifs or ands, just one big but. The worst. Yep. <laughs> now keep in mind, we did not write these. These are the actual yes, taglines yes. for this film <laughs> that a writer in Hollywood spent time and got paid to do. All right, Sarah, you want to read one? You got it up. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> that's it that's all they could come up with <laughs> yeah uh or mm, all right i would do our last one then we go on to our funnier ones hopefully um the santa claus this christmas the snow hits the fan doesn't even rhyme with what it, it was trying to replace they should have paid us to do them they should the other have. ones were all just boring generic christmas things all right like, now mark i think you're out of taglines but sarah you've got one more why don't you I do. break us off a piece of it nope <laughs> the santa claus a holly jolly legally binding contract 
I like that one a lot. Um, so let's go with uh, so this one I think would work well on like the the DVD box cover with like one of those holographic fronts where on one play you turn it one way you see Tim Allen you turn it the other way you see him in full Santa Claus garb. Uh, so it'd be the Santa Claus naughty father, nice Father Christmas. Ah. And finishing off with my final one, the Santa Claus. If you kill him, you must become him. It's like the Highlander. <laughs> yes, there can only be one. You can only be one Santa. Uh, I, uh, that, I mean, that one could be a real one, too. It's kind of better than the ones uh, they came Disney up with. Disney would not put kill in a tagline. Although they do murder someone on this. But they, they sure they, do. But the snow hits the fan is okay. Yeah, it's because they don't say the word shit, Mark. <laughs> How dare you? This is a family-friendly podcast. It, it should be, but it's not. Because <laughs> we have upwards of 15 listeners sometimes. <laughs> Maybe some of them are families. Tell your friends. <laughs> please uh all right let's go on to our third game which is the tv guide game a description of the plot of the film you would see in the netflix or tv guide description though once again hopefully missing the point sarah start us off once again and give us the plot of this film an evil local government with the help of a psychiatrist worked to take down a local folk hero local folk hero i mean uh technically this is america's interpretation of santa claus Oh, is it me again? It is. A hereditary psychosis is revealed when a father undergoes physical and mental transformations to satisfy his son's belief that he is Santa Claus. (laughs) Uh, I have. A couple fails in their attempts to teach their son the truth about Santa, while long-suffering employees have to show yet another boss the ropes for the Christmas rush. Okay. A father and son's shared delusions cause trouble for the rest of their family and friends. Hmm. That was very similar to mine. It sure was. I know. Yours just sounded fancier. It did. I know. I tried. <laughs> uh, okay. My second one. After years of doing the same job, Santa purposely gets caught on a roof on Christmas Eve and seizes the opportunity to fake his death and pass the job on to another poor schmo. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, you know how there's like Lion King one and a half where they tell the same story yeah. from a different angle? Let's get that. Let's get the Santa Claus one and a half where we see it from that Santa's point of view. Where that he would be comes awesome. up with this whole plan. I and would... the ending is him disappearing and retiring to Hawaii. Yes. I would love if like it was just like a secret of the film because they cleared it and didn't show it for the final cut where the original Santa was played by a really famous actor and just, he was just on set that day and he gets called in for this one and a half film, but yet nobody knows it's this really famous actor in this film. I'd be down for that. All right. Uh, my last one, um, not reading the fine print leads a man to become the leader of an organization against his will. And due to this, he gains weight, gets fired and loses legal rights to his child. Okay, my last one is local businessman gets in trouble with his loved ones when he decides to take a new job. (laughs) Well, I think mine pointed out he did not decide to do it. I mean, he kind of did, but we don't know when he left his other job. All he did was put on a suit, Mark. It's legally binding! (laughs) He never put on the hat. There's clearly a clause about this. And what happened to the boots? Because he was wearing his own boots at the time, wasn't he? I think so. Unless Secret Santa kept the other Santa kept them because he just really liked them. 
<laughs> it's anyway. the one part of the outfit he enjoyed. Alrighty, so let's go on to our review scale. As always, our first scale is the potato scale. A scale where we will tell you the emotional state of the film or what you will feel while watching this movie in terms of our relationship with potatoes. So who would like to start? What is the Santa Claus in terms of potatoes? I gave it a mashed potatoes Mm -hmm. because it's heartwarming and the relationships are really real done. The guy who played the guy, the kid who plays the son, he's a guy now. He's an adult because this movie's very (laughs) old. (laughs) Um, But he was great. I thought Bernard was great. It's just all around really heartwarming. I did also give it like half an oven baked potato. It does take a little bit to get into all the Santa stuff. It's a little slow at the beginning. Picks up speed about a fourth of the way through. So it can be it's your first time watching it and you're like when does the santa stuff actually happen it does take a little bit of time for the santa stuff to actually happen but it is but all I- focused on christmas so yeah so i why only give it half an oven baked potato just a little bit of slowness okay. not enough to like really hinder the movie but just a little bit if if you're not if you're expecting it to get right into the santa right away it's not <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting so we discussed a lot of the psychological things and the whole court issue and taking away the guy's son. Mm-hmm. I would almost, as long as we're giving half potatoes, I kind of would do the half of a black potato because it that wasn't the focus of the film. And mm-hmm. I, to me, it didn't really take over that much. So I don't want to say that the entire film is black potato, but there was some of that troubling issues behind it. But I would also agree with the mashed potatoes as well as potato casserole that we have. Mm. I don't remember what Because that I feel like... It has layers, like an onion. Yeah. Right. A lot of it would be more for children, I feel like. But as an adult, there are certain aspects that I can appreciate as well. Now, I, I have found through doing this podcast that a lot of these movies, when I watch them now, I start to agree with the adults more and see their side of it, where as a kid, I never understood why that they would act the way they did. So it's kind of interesting that now I'm kind of seeing why they treat Scott the way that they did <laughs> and and why they're trying to convince the kid that his dad is not Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff. But as a kid, you have the ELFS and the jetpacks and the gadgets and some of the um, like little kid jokes that are kind of dumb to an adult. Yeah, are the all the farting? Yeah, I do have a, bring a that note up, but... for every single one that appears in this film, and it's a lot. Is it? I think the reindeer did it, and Scott does it. That's the only time I remember. It was just twice. Mm, but... Maybe I just saw it twice and thought this is too much. Yeah. All right. Well, my review is along the lines of your twos. Um, so I agree. I'm, again, going to get a half uh, black potato. I'm going to give it a half for tater tots, where some of it is just for children. Not everything will speak to an adult. But I think my overall rating is going to be the steak and shake fries, which is a new one that Sarah added for second place. It's not quite a Five Guys fries, even though... Like, nobody is bad in this film. Uh, Charlie's great. Scott is great. The mom is great. Neil is annoying, but he's supposed to be, so he's doing his job wonderfully. Bernard is phenomenal. Like, all the other elves are great. It's just that, specifically, that ELFS section is not for me. It's meant for children. Uh, And this darker scale, I don't know if we're 
children's film get that dark anymore. So I think overall, it's great. Those two things of being just for kids and a little dark are going to take it from a five guys to a steak and shake fries. All right, let's go on to our second scale, which is a rewatchability scale, a scale from zero to 10 rating whether or not you should rewatch this film. So what do you guys have on that scale for The Santa Claus? I give it an eight. Hmm. Definitely rewatch it. It's not my favorite Christmas movie. There's others I like better, but it's still one that I would, if it's on TV, I would watch it every Christmas. I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to watch it every Christmas like I do with our last one with Muppets, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not, there are some Christmas ones that I actively avoid. <laughs> and this is not one of those. This one, if it's on, I will watch it. And I think everyone should watch it at least once. I think it's great. I think I think it's still really enjoyable. I think it holds up pretty well. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of tropes and stuff that we've pointed out are aggressively 90s, but not in a bad way. It's not It's not like it's a, so aggressively 90s it's become parody. It's just, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Although they did continue our tradition of random pop songs during the credits. They but... did. <laughs> How do you and guys something else I forgot credits. to ask you I about. Did you notice films. you noticed the horribly fake looking snow in the final scene? Anyone? I did not. Anyone? I did not. Oh. Well, but you I have did to go notice the pop again. song. I think I make it to the credits because I can never find my remote quick enough to turn <laughs> it off before the credits. Well, I think I'm right there with you because I, I, there are plenty, I'm a big fan of Christmas movies, it's usually my favorite holiday, so I have seen most of the Christmas movies, except all those terrible Hallmark ones. <clears throat> I've seen but, <laughs> Every single so. one. Sarah lives for this. Yeah. I do! But, um... I mean, I will say I have seen a couple of them, and that's probably why I don't watch any of the other ones. <laughs> so, but I, I, it's probably not, it's definitely not top of my list of Christmas movies, and I have not watched it pretty much at all in several years. So it, it was nice to watch it and have it be new to me again, but I still really enjoyed it as an adult. So it is one that I could watch maybe every year or every other year. And definitely, if you haven't seen it it's good to watch it at least once as a family or uh whoever you hang out with at christmas time santa yeah yes i hang out with santa he's kind of <laughs> my best bud bff forever <laughs> bff santa i get the best presents so my review uh i would rate it slightly higher i was pleasantly surprised by this film uh pleasantly surprised to see tim allen uh, in his, um, not his renaissance, in, in the height of his career. His prime. His prime. He was great in this film, just like he was great in Home Improvement. I was surprised to see that. Also, this film holds up for me. It keeps moving. It's a good mixture in family drama with Christmas stuff going on. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect film by any me measure, but... Like, like I said, the main actors in it, the people you signed up to watch a movie for, are doing a great job. Nobody is ruining this film. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give it a solid nine. Is it the best Christmas movie? Probably not. Is it a good Christmas movie? Is it a great Christmas movie? Yes, it is. You should watch this film. All right. So that is going to close out reviews. Sarah, do you want to tell people where they can find us online? Yes. You can 
What is more? Would you like to tell people where <laughs> they can find us online? Did no one else hear that dinging? <laughs> I didn't. Okay. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Retrograding Podcast. You can find each other on Facebook at Retrograding Party Line. You can find us at our website at retrograding.fireside.fm. And you can find us just by searching retrograding on the podcast section of iTunes. Give us a like, a review, a share, a skywriter, whatever. We'd appreciate it. We sure would. Our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to contact her or know more. So that is going to close out the podcast. Bring us to our final section, which is, guys, I learned something today. Uh, so this is a lesson that Scott Calvin teaches Charlie very early in the film, a lesson that we can all keep in mind as we approach the holidays and start uh, boiling our turkeys or putting them in a deep fat fryer. Keep in mind, nothing is more painful than third degree burns. All right, that is going to close out this episode of Retrograding. We'll catch you next time. Just because I don't our, have any. <clears throat> our first Sarah, game. Oh. Dear God, let me start this. <laughs> he was talking about, well, I'm here and I see all this stuff. Really? For the love of God, if this is your sister. <laughs> it is my sister. Of course it is. <laughs> She's the only person that calls. On a Sunday. Always on a Sunday. <laughs> she calls every day. Every day? After you, you're starting over. <laughs> Ship directly from his North Pole. Anyway, uh, my review. Oh, oh. <laughs> what, what, what? You want to reword that? What? Oh, um, I didn't mean it dirty. You have soiled Santa by dragging him into the muck of the sewer of your mind, Sarah. Uh, you're the one who worded it weird. You're the he lives at the North Pole. Yeah, but it's not his North Pole. Uh, yeah, it is. Who's that? Who else would it be? He's the boss. The, the L? It's Bernard's. All right, this is all going to cut out and going into the bloopers. <laughs>